Well, this is our third week that we have been studying the statement by Jesus that he was the way, the truth, and the life. The first week we studied that he was the way, and he is a way maker. Amen. Last week we studied about him being the truth, and this week we're going to study about him being the life. And then next week we're going to wrap it up with the last statement he made in that verse, which was that no man comes to the Father but by me. And when you start to study that, that word that he said, that he was the life, there is just so much that we could go in, so many different directions, so, so deep is that statement. But I, I've chosen to focus on just one aspect of that today, and that's the part that really got me, and I think there is some uh, deep, profound truth that we can see in that, and that is that the Scripture makes this reference that Jesus is the light of life, the light of life. John 1, chapter 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so many times we think we know what the Scripture is saying But there's so much more to be gotten from it. You know, you have to chew on it. You have to meditate upon it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen. So we're going to have a look at that whole theme to do with light and life because we see in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that it is intertwined. So let me ask you, what is the most important book? No, no wrong answers. You're right. Amen. I didn't think anyone would get it right away. The most important book is actually the book of life. Why? Because your name has got to be written in that book. If your name is not written in that book, then you're not belonging to God. The most important book is not, is not your finance book. It's not your checkbook. It's not, it's not even the Bible per se. But it is the book of life. And we're going to look at that because Jesus said, remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne... A book written within and on the backside. It's very interesting that the Bible is it's got 66 books, I believe, written by, I think, 40 different authors. And I said before that there were about three or four books that God did not let man write. That they were so important that he reserved them to himself. Anyone can remember another book that God is writing. Sister Johnny, your book. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I guess he is writing each and every one of our books if, if we let him. Some of us grab back the pen from time to time and we start writing our own story. But there are cer- certain books that the Bible tells us that he is reserved. He, he, he didn't even let the prophets or the judges or anyone write because they were too 
special. They were too secret. They were too um, reserved. Anyone can remember a book that the Bible says that God is writing? The book of life is one of them, but any other book that you can remember, the Bible says that God is writing. The book of remembrance. The book of remembrance is in Malachi. The story was they said, look at how we're doing. Look at how life is going. And the Bible said in, in Malachi, they said, how come the, 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 these other people are doing so well? And the Bible says that God opened a book. And he started to write every single tear that you have shed, everything, every single suffering you have been for his sake. It's in the book called the book of remembrance. It's in the book of remembrance. And there is coming a day. The Bible says when we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we have done in this body. But that judgment seat of Christ, it's called the Bema seat, is not uh, a judgment of punishment. It's a reward ceremony. It's a reward ceremony. That's when I believe the book of remembrance is going to be opened. God will see the time when you sacrificed, when you were praying all night or when you were helping someone that no one else saw. The time when you, when you, you, you took all of the, the, the slings and arrows, as they say in Shakespeare, you know, the, the abuse, the gossip, and you just turn the other cheek. There is a book of remembrance being written. But that, although that one is very important, is not the most important book. There's another book too, but we won't get into that t- today. The most important book is the one in this chapter, in Revelation chapter 5, because God is seen here holding it. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And verse 3 is quite profound. It says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Yesterday um, was the beginning of the semester for the Purpose Institute for the... uh, ministers and I was teaching about this this semester the course I'm teaching is apostolic doctrine and I said to them who can tell me the scripture that sums up the law Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment and he and he was asked to sum up the law anyone can remember that what did he what was the answer to that can anyone say it or find it and read it because I want, I want to be precise on what that says. It's, it is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, thy strength. But I don't want to misquote it. So if anyone finds it, I'd like you to read it. And thy neighbor as thyself. But I want, I want to actually read it. I didn't put this in the lesson, but it just came to mind. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now, that scripture um, where it says, when he was asked to, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy strength, thy soul, and thy mind. Where is it found? It's in more than one place. 
Luke, right. And he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it was given under the law where Moses told the people, this is what God says. So the law is summed up in, the, in that one verse, that thou shalt love the Lord. Thy. Now, what is the problem with that verse? Is there a problem with that verse? Remember what it sums up. What does that verse sum up? The law, right? The law. Could anyone keep the law? That's the problem with that verse. It's great and it's true. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God 100%, 24-7, 365 days of the year. But can anyone actually do that? If you could, if you could have kept that verse, then Jesus wouldn't wouldn't have had to come because Jesus said that was the summation of the law. And Paul said that the law was weak because of what? Our flesh. Now, that was written in the law. The, the books of the law was important. But this is why the book of the law is not the most important book. Because no human being could, could keep it. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. This book was greater than the book of the law. People could open the book of the law and they could read the summation of the law in Deuteronomy 6 where thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, thy mind, thy heart, thy strength. The trouble is none of us can actually do that perfectly. We come close. Maybe, maybe you come a lot further than me. I have days when I'm not feeling like I'm loving 100%. And that's why that verse is good and it's what we should aspire to. But in truth... No one could actually do it. That's why Jesus came. That's why we need his grace. That's why we needed another book. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. See, John knew what this book was. In Revelation, it doesn't directly in that scripture reveal what that book was. And there's many speculations what that book was. Some say it was the title deed to the earth. Because in those days, they used to have title deeds, had writing on the back and the front. But I don't think that's what this book was. I think it was a much more profound thing. In fact, what I'm believing and telling you is that this was the book of life. This was the reason John wept because he knew if no man could open it, then no names could be read. If no names could be read, no one was going to be saved because your name has to be written where? In the book of life. And this so distressed him that he wept. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon or to, in other words, to look and read what it was saying. John realized what this book was. In Daniel, when Daniel was giving his last prophecy, God told him to seal the book, to seal the book. And he knew too that if no one could open the book, the names couldn't be read. Moses, when he was leading Israel, and they messed up so badly, he 
he, he implored God, take my name out of the book, but forgive them. He was the intercessor. And he, he was speaking about the book of life. Please don't blot out their name. Now, there's something interesting which I've taught before, which a lot of people don't realize, is that your name doesn't get written in during your lifetime. Your name gets taken out. All the references in scripture to the book of life speak about blotting your name out. You can get your name taken out. Your name goes in when you're born. That's the revelation. That's why it's called the book of life. That's why God doesn't send babies to hell because they have no knowledge of what? Good and evil, right? That was the sin that Adam and Eve committed. They gained the knowledge, independent judgment of good and evil. And that's why in uh, Deuteronomy, I think in the 38th chapter, God was explaining why it was going to be their children that was going to go into the promised land and not them because of their unbelief. He says, your children who you, who you said were going to die, who you told Moses you brought us out here to kill our children, they're the ones going to go in. You know why? Because they have no knowledge of good and evil. You find that in Deuteronomy, I think 38 or 39. And so the book of life means just that. Everybody gets their name written in, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture. And that's why John was so upset, because if the book could not be opened, no names could be read. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, weep not. That's a good message title today. Weep not, Sister Johnny. Weep not. Weep not, because, behold. See, that's an attention getter, behold. It means look. John, look up. Stop crying. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereon, thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, and that's not a throwaway verse, it's showing who was really on the throne. The lamb was in the midst of the throne where just previously the one was sitting. That's where the lamb came from, the midst of the throne. And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Confucius can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. No man was found worthy. That's why John was weeping. Because he realized what the book was. And the proof of it is later on in Revelation, it tells us explicitly Revelation 13, 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, speaking about the beast, the Antichrist, whose names are not written. And this time it gives the title of the owner, who the book belongs to, who has the right to open it, who has the right to speak the names. It's the book of life of the Lamb. Slain from the foundation of the world. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
because he was the only one worthy. He was the only one who could fulfill perfection required under the law to open the book and the book belongs to him. In Revelation, he went and took it from the hand of him that sat on the throne. And in Revelation 13, 8, now it's called the book of life of the Lamb. That's what John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, had the revelation. Behold. Behold. There's that word again. Look. Behold. The Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. There is a connection in scripture between this concept of life and light. The Bible tells us that he was the light of men. Now, I told you that everyone's name gets written into the book of life because they're born. Everyone starts out with a clean record. It just depends on when you start giving that pen to the one who can really write a good story. But most of us, we want to write that, that thing ourselves, and a lot of times it's not a happy story. It has so many crooked pathways. There's so many suffering areas in chapters in our book. But as Sister Johnny said, that's a good point. When you give him the book, when he starts to write your story, doesn't the scripture says he is the author and the finisher of our faith? When you're going through some hard times, you need to give him the pen. When you're going through some suffering, you need to give him the pen because he can write a good story. Amen. I wasn't very good at writing essays because I always felt it was too subjective. It was too much up to the teacher. You know, that's why I decided to go engineering because they can't argue with one and one makes two. Right? It was not in the teacher's control whether you were right or wrong. But when you're writing a story, it's really up to them whether they think it's a good story. And I didn't like that. But you know who I wouldn't mind giving the story to? The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because he is the author and finisher of our faith. He has written some books, and the most important book that belongs to him is the book of life. Now, I want to point out something. The Bible speaks about Jesus, especially in the book of John, putting this, thing, this concept of life and light together. Let's look at that. John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. John was not the light. When they send the Pharisees to ask him if he was the Messiah or if he was the prophet, he said, no, I'm not he, but I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Do you understand today that we the church is supposed to be the voice crying. Just as John prepared the way for his first coming, we the church are supposed to be preparing the way for now his second coming. That's why symbolically the Bible had John being filled for, with the spirit from a birth. The church is supposed to be filled with the spirit from birth. There's a parallel there. But he was to declare who was coming, the light. Verse 8, he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness. Are you a, a light bearer? Are you a witness to the light? 
people should look at you and see something or know something about you that's different because you should be bearing light. He was sent to bear witness of that light. Now verse 9 is interesting. And this goes back to what I was saying about the book of life. Read this verse very carefully. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Do you see what that's saying? It lighteth every... It's talking about life. It's meaning that everyone that's born, Jesus, God, created that soul. It is saying that that is associated with light. That's why your name, when you're born, is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, every reference in the New Testament speaks about blotting out your name. Jesus told his disciples, rejoice, not that the spirits are subject to you, but that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And many scriptures in the New Testament speak about blotting your name out. It's what you do during life gets your name blotted out. Amen. Let's look a little bit deeper. Now, when the wise men came, how did they first know this king had been born? Yeah, it's called a star, but what does a star do? It's a light. It was a light. That's what they saw. When you see a star, what are you seeing? You're seeing a light. They were following the light. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. When they, heard, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, and I put my words, in other words, the light which they saw in the east went before them. Jesus, uh, God set this up to show the connection between life and light. Because what was going to happen that night? What was going to happen in Bethlehem? A baby was going to be born. Now, Everything Jesus did was as an example. Remember what the scripture I read before? That was the true light which lighteth every man that what? Cometh into the world. Jesus was coming into the world so that there was a light. Remember what it said? The true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know, there's some deep connection here because we go back to Revelation I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. I don't know if you're beginning to see the connections which I'm trying to to show you here. That there is a connection because it, it is to do with God's glory of the light. And it is that light, that glory, that covering that gives us eternal life. It was that glory, that covering, that light that Adam and Eve lost when they sinned that suddenly they could now see that they were naked. They couldn't see they were naked before because they were covered with light. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. When I was studying this many years ago, and I remember Christopher was with me, and I told him, I said, a thought came to me. And I knew that it was from God and I knew that he would, I hadn't proved it, but the thought came to me and I said, you know, there's a connection here between light and covering. And I said to him, go look it up. Go look up what the Hebrew for light is. The Hebrew for light 
is or, O-R-E. That's how it's pronounced. And the, the Hebrew for skin or covering is also or. Do you understand? That's why God had to then make them a covering of coats because they had lost the covering of light, which was what was now going to make them die. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus then, when he came as a son of God, he came to show what mankind was before. He was the second man, Adam, the son of God. And he still had that light, but it was veiled now in flesh. So he took him up on the mountain. And even the scripture, the way the scripture is phrased, is telling us something. It says, after six days, he took them up. You understand what the symbolism is. We're in the 6,000th year. We're, we're about to be taken up. After six days, he took his, the three of them up. And he told them, that you got to keep this a secret because this is a revelation I'm giving you here. What does the Bible say? And was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was as white as as the light. It really won't matter what you look like when you get to heaven because you're going to just be covered with the glory of God. You're going to be covered with the glory of God. During the law, Moses went up on the mountain and just being in the presence of God, he, he came down glowing to the point we had to put a veil over himself because he was probably scaring people. If I came in here all glowing and shining, you'd probably go, hmm. <laughs> he had to come. Jesus was that very Shekinah glory veiled in flesh. And he took him up to show them what is going to be our future. Because the Bible says, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that we shall be like him. Amen. In him was life. Now Jesus made it plain that no one killed him. He says, for this cause... Came I into the world. And my, my strong belief is until he said, uh, Father, receive my spirit, that wood would have rotted before he would have died. He had to willingly bow his head and said, into thy hands commend I my spirit. John chapter 10 verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because what? I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. Not Pilate, not the Romans. Nobody could have taken it. He engineered his own uh, sacrifice. He came for that cause. And as I said, until he was ready, he could have stayed up on that cross until the wood rotted. Because he says, no man taketh it. In fact, when they came, when Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate to say, give me the body, Pilate was surprised. Is he really dead? He shouldn't be dead already. See, Jesus chose the time of his death so as to symbolize the morning and the evening sacrifice. The national sin offering for Israel because the high priest in Mark declared that it's better that one man should die for the nation than the, the whole nation should perish. The Bible says that he spake this not of himself, but the Holy Ghost made him say it so as to declare Jesus our sin offering, our scapegoat, our redemptive offering. No man taketh it from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. You know what Jesus did? He laid down the natural so that he could be resurrected supernatural. I think that'd be a good message title. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay down all the fleshly stuff. Die out to the world. I'm getting all these good message titles here. <laughs> Lay it down. He laid down. Paul, Paul used that. He said, he went down. You, you are going to die a natural to be raised supernatural. That which is going to be raised is not that which is sown. It's like a seed. The, the, oak, the oak seed looks nothing like the tree. See, we're going to come back a glorified. He, he, he died in weakness. He was raised in strength. We need to lay down this old body. This commandment have I received of my father. You see, all of these things that Jesus said was to show us that he is truly the life. There is no one else. There is no other way to God but through him and by him. It says all things were made by him. Amen. He was in the world in John chapter 1 verse 10. And the world knew him not. Even now they don't know him. That's why we should be the voice crying in the wilderness. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he is coming back. Hallelujah. He is coming back. Amen. So Jesus then went on to explain how this works, how the life comes. And we see it in Revelation, in, in Genesis, how, how life came. How did life come? It says, first God created, in Genesis 1, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created our spirit man, our soul. And then in Genesis 2, he took that and formed the body out of the dust of the earth. But it was still just a body. He had to then do that third step. Breathe. Let's look at that. John 6.63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth. That means makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. That's why we got to lay it down. Jesus was our example. He laid down. He died physically to come back supernaturally. That body that he rose with, although it, it looked just like Jesus, it was supernatural. It could defy the laws of nature. He could walk through closed walls. He did. He walked through closed walls, but at the same time, he could eat food. He said, he said, flesh and bone, not flesh and blood now, flesh and bone, you know, is not, is, is, I'm flesh, touch me. He could, he could be touched. I'm glad he still can be touched. See, here's what Jesus said, and this is why he is the life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that's why in John 15, 7, he says, If ye abide in me and my words, which are spirit and life, abide in you, then you shall ask what he will and it shall be done unto you. The times when I've really been able to let his word really abide in me. I have been able to ask and he has done more, exceedingly more than I have even asked of him. That is the key to spiritual life. God's words abiding in you. We see how Jesus used the word. He said, it is written. It is written. Man, you're facing some lack in your life, financial or otherwise. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? 
every word. The word that God speaks, they are spirit and they are life. In fact, Jesus said this in John. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that gives us a clue to what happened in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, well, let me preface that. To speak words, what do you have to do? You have to open your mouth. But you have to do something else to speak words. Breathe. If you open your mouth in a vacuum, there will still be no sound. Because there is no breath. You have to breathe. That is what what God did in Genesis. When it says he breathed, there was words that were spoken. But the words were not revealed till Jesus repeated that in John 17. Bible says he did the same thing as in Genesis 1. He breathed on them. But this time we know what was spoken. What did he say? Receive ye the spirit. That is what brings life. Because it is the spirit, John 6, 63, it is the spirit that brings quickeneth. That means makes alive. So what God did in Genesis 1 was not explicitly revealed until John 17 when God in the flesh did the same thing. He came to his disciples and he went. But this time the revelation comes. He said, receive ye the spirit. And that is what brought life. If he abide in me. And my words stay in you. Then you can ask what he will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that he bear much fruit. Anyone have a garden? I know my wife has a garden. I think Sister Jessica has a garden. And when you have a garden, you go out there and you look at it every day. And you you see how the fruit are coming and you, you know, and she tells me about the fruit. Every day, make sure you water. When she was going away, she made sure you got to go out there and water it. Don't forget now. Please don't forget. Then as soon as she got her first fruit, she came and she showed it to me. Look at how big this tomato is. God wants to be glorified in the fruit that we produce. We should be producing fruit. Herein is my father glorified that he bear much fruit. So shall it, that is the evidence of really being his disciple. What is the fruits of the spirit? Nine of them, right? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. Don't forget that one. Don't forget the long-suffering. Herein is my father glorified that he bear a little bit of fruit. You see, if we were really bearing fruit, the church would really be on one accord, wouldn't it? There would be no, as they call it, sharp elbows. There would be no territorial, no, this is my position. We would fit as a body where everybody understands that not everybody can be the eye. But listen, if you've got an ingrowing toenail on your toe, you really understand how important it is. You realize how important that big toe is. You shield it. You protect it. You see people coming and you kind of put that foot behind. (laughs) You don't want them treading on that foot. Suddenly it becomes very important part of the body. Imagine if we did that as a body. When someone was hurting, we, we, we called them and lifted them up because they're an important part of the body. Herein is my father glorified 
that he bear much fruit. This is all part of life. Because I tell you what, a dead tree can bear no fruit. In fact, sometimes trees that look like they're alive ought to be dead, right? Jesus came up to the, to the tree looking, fig tree, looking for fruit. And because it, he found none, he cursed it to be dead. To be dead. The Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. Let's look at this now a little bit more about this creation. As I said, the revelation of the life-giving force was the words that God spoke in creation. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, an incorporated soul. There was a spirit man that had been created in Genesis 1. And now that was incorporated to become a living, a nephesh, a living being. Job 33 verse 4 explains it. The spirit of God hath made me the breath of the almighty is what hath given me life. So when Jesus said in John 17, or maybe it's John 20, receive ye the Spirit, that was when he was really fulfilling the scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The second man, Adam, became a quickening, life-giving spirit. The first man, Adam, was earthly, but the second man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. It's John 20, not John 20, uh, 17. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Here's the revelation of what happened in Genesis 1. Receive he the Holy Ghost. In fact, the Bible says if you don't have God's spirit, got to tear that page out if you don't like it. I didn't say it. It's in the New Testament. It's just the facts. If you don't, if you don't have God's spirit, you don't belong to him. You're not in his family. That's why it is absolutely necessary to receive the spirit. And just to show you how this works both ways, Job 34, 14. If he set his heart upon man, if God should choose, and if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto dust. The fact that you woke up this morning and was able to go, that's God. That you were able to take a breath this morning, that's God. He has not yet withdrawn his breath and his spirit. That's why he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Now the scripture goes on to explain something deeper about this connection with light and life. In John chapter 10 verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes my flesh starts to think and the little flesh starts to speak to me and say, you know, there are 7,000 or 8,000 million other human beings on this planet. That's eight followed by nine zeros. Are you trying to tell me that God cares about you, knows about you, and what you're doing is interesting. You know, the devil will tell me, come, come to me with that thing, and, and I think, there's, why would you be special? There are 8,000 million other souls on this planet. And yet here in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. He can speak to you in a crowd. You ever heard your name in a crowd? All kinds of noise going on. They suddenly hear your name and you start looking around. 
You know, you're tuned to, if you're tuned to the spirit, God can speak to you directly. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. You know, the thing that really comes back when the devil starts whispering to me, how, how come you think you're so special that he knows you and there's seven, 8,000 other million human beings that 99% of them, or at least some good percentage, are probably more holy or better than you? Why, why should he care about you? And then I remember the scripture where Jesus says, you know, the birds, not one little bird falls to the ground that the father doesn't know about it. In fact, he goes on to say, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Wow. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Are you not more valuable than a bird? (laughs) Are you not more valuable than a bird? That's another message title. (laughs) Are you not more valuable than a bird? (laughs) Amen. You see, he says... Um, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. He has promised us, you know, um, I don't know about you, but at my age now I get all of these insurance things in the mail. Term life, whole life. I don't know all the different terms, but none of them yet said eternal life. (laughs) That's one policy Geico can't sell. Progressive can't sell. Uh, Prudential can't sell. You know what? There's only one book that that is coming from. The Lamb's Book of Life. Only Jesus can give you an insurance policy that is eternal. Guess what? The premiums are paid. In full. The premiums are paid in full. All you have to do is believe and obey. Amen. You know, we have Northwestern Mutual here and uh, every now and then I get all these people calling me and telling me, you know, we got this thing, investment, annuities, and they don't understand. I said, well, you know, next time they call, I'm going to ask them, I have a policy I'd like you to look up for me. I think I might try that. <laughs> I know you got term and whole life and all these other, th- um, could you check to see if in your book you have one called eternal? <laughs> I expect the phone to go click, (laughs) click. But I'm telling you, there's a book that God has written with your name in it. Amen. Which only he was able to open. Now, this connection between light and life, let's go on. My father gave them to me and is greater than all. And no man, no man, let's say no man or devil really is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. My father used to tell me a story. He was always good at telling stories about this uh, father who was on this ship with his son and a great storm came up and the waves started crashing over the the boat and the boat started rocking and the little boy said, Father, let me grab your hand. And the father said, no, son, let me grab your hand. See, that's the difference. We can't hold on to God hard enough. But if he holds on to us, here's what it says. No man is able to pluck them. Out of my father's hand. See, Paul now in Romans 8.18 starts to explain what is going to come back to us. See, because the scripture says that 
Right now, we don't see any glory. I don't look too glory, glorious. I look in the mirror, and it's just getting worse and worse, right? Um, but here's what Paul says. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time... Anyone going through some sufferings, or are you just having a, a really nice time? You're just coasting through life? Not a problem? Everything just going smoothly? No heartaches? Okay, because I want to come live with you. <laughs> For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, this is a test. This is a test if you believe this or not. Because if you believe this, you can still have joy. No matter what you're going through, you can still have joy if you believe this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. In other words, not to be compared with the glory. In other words, the light which shall be revealed in us. Is that what the scripture says? Is that what the scripture says? Come on now. Is that what the scripture says? The glory that's going to be revealed in you. That blows my mind. But this is what God came to do. God was in, in Christ Jesus reconciling, bringing back the world so that we could once again be like Adam in the garden, a son of God, covered with the Shekinah glory. Daniel 12, 3, he prophesied this. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness, not, not my oil here, but the glory shine. At the brightness, as the brightness of the firmament and turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's why Jesus is said to be the light of life. Because when he gives us eternal life, there is a glory that is going to be revealed in us. It's what the scripture says. Now, the other part of, of, of Jesus saying he was the life, the other concept that he was always talked about was living water. Living water. Let's read that. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, you know the story. He was on his way uh, to Jerusalem and they stopped by this village and he sent the disciples in to go get food. And I've preached a message on this. Don't let the journey wear you out. Don't let the journey wear you out. But the amazing thing about this, and it really brought comfort to me, the scripture says, and Jesus was weary. Now, if Jesus can be weary, that's okay. I can be weary too. It's all right. In the flesh, we are going to get weary. This life will try and wear you out. The scripture says he will try to wear out the patience of the saints. And you know the story, this woman came to draw water and he struck up a conversation with her. And Jesus said to her, to her, this answer to center, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that say to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee what? Living water. I am the way, the truth and the life. You see, living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She's looking in the natural. Sometimes we look at the situation and say, hey, You can't get anything out of that. You know, they say you can't get blood out of a stone because we are looking with natural eyes. You don't even have a bucket. What are you talking about? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? He told her, Listen, if you would believe on me, out of your belly would flow what? He that believeth on me. Now, 
There is a condition. There is a people say, I believe the devil believes it's got to be as the scripture hath said, then out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this concept again goes back to the, from the garden and we find it in revelation when we return to the garden and he showed me a pure river of water of life. See, the only place you can get the living water is from Jesus. There are so many symbols in the Bible that God has planted to, 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 to lead us and to point to him. We see that there's a few places that God meets people, right? I've taught this before. One of them is where? A well. Seems to like meeting people by a well. A mountain. And a garden. Those are the places you will find Jesus. Mary met him in the garden. Isaac was by the well of living waters, Lahai Roy, when he saw his bride coming. Hagar was by that same well when the angel met her. And of course, the, the, this church is named after the well Rehoboth, which Isaac, um, which actually Abraham had dug, but Isaac had opened back up. So there is this concept when it comes to life, there is light and that there is living water. Amen. The Bible says with joy. You all should be smiling. <laughs> With joy, you shall draw water from the wells. I hope you came here with your joy today. I hope you came here with your joy because I'm going to be selfish. <laughs> I'm not giving you mine. <laughs> I'm not giving you mine. The foolish virgin said, Can we have some of yours? No, sorry. <laughs> You better bring your own joy. You better have your, your well full up and running over. If you don't, you need to think about the goodness of God. Just start thinking about the times he delivered you. The times when he brought you through. The times when he did a miracle. See, I can think of times when he delivered me from the bear and from the lion. And he's helped me kill several Goliaths in my Christian walk. See, the living water only has one source. Even in the garden, there was one river. Then it split into three. There wasn't four rivers. It all came from one source, right? There wasn't, there wasn't several rivers that came from different directions. It all came from one source. In Revelation, there's only going to be one river and it's coming from the one source. Jesus said, uh, if you would, let me read it. I don't want to misquote it. He said, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly, rivers of living water, living water, not dead water, not dry water, living water, living water. Amen. Living water. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Amen. I made sure today that we're going to finish early so that we can have a discussion time. So we're almost there. Next week, we're going to do the last part of this. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that is so literal. That is so profound. There's a phrase in the Old Testament that is used to denote a righteous death. And a phrase that is used to denote a unrighteous death. Anyone remember what I said it was? Right. 
Anyone in the Old Testament that died a righteous death, there's a phrase that says, he was gathered to his people. Go look it up. It's in there. But if someone who died an unrighteous death, you know what the phrase says? (laughs) Yes, they all died. But here's what it says. He was cut off from his people. We're going to look at that next week. Those two phrases, because it's important, because Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Jacob, when he was dying, when he was giving the blessing on Jacob, on, 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 um, on Judah, he made some special comments about how the messianic line would come through him. And we're going to look at that next week. If you could stand with me, we're going to stop a bit early so that we can take some questions and, 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 and have some dialogue here. I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I think it's Psalm 68. He says, when he arose, he led captivity captive. Amen. You know what he did? He released all the, all the righteous souls and personally, personally escorted them to heaven. In Revelation, I think 18, it says that Babylon has fallen and become a stronghold of demons and devils. Because when we die now, we don't go to hell. Paul said to be absent from the body, present with Christ. The only people going down there are unrighteous. If you are filled with the Spirit and you die now, you go directly to God's throne room. Amen. Amen. Because he emptied. That's why it's so literal. No man comes to the Father but by me. In fact, he, 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 he promised he would name drop your name. I will call, if you don't deny me, I will not deny you. I will call your name in front of the holy angels. Imagine that, that your name, your name is going to be called in front of the angels in heaven. See, most of us probably, I don't know who of you been to the White House or been to some famous place or, you know, as far as the world knows, nobody knows my name. You'd have to maybe Google or go on Facebook to find it. But guess what? I firmly believe there is a book that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Somewhere in there when you get past the A's and you get down to the B's, I'm believing somewhere in there that is my name written. And I'm waiting one day because John saw the Lamb of God open the book and start to take off the seals that my name will be called. Your name will be called. Hallelujah. Let's bow our hearts right now. Father, we just thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. And because of you, we have the opportunity to gain eternal life, that our name will be in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, we lift up your name right now. We exalt you. Hallelujah. Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask, oh God, that you speak to us, that you move in the service to come, that there will be an anointing that will break every yoke, that your spirit will have liberty. Hallelujah. To set on fire. Lord, restore joy. Hallelujah. Restore peace. Hallelujah. Bring deliverance, oh God. We thank you and we claim it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Hallelujah. We lift up your name and we give you all the glory. Come on, let's give God a praise offering right now. Amen.